What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 42 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today's going to be a fun episode. You know, just south of where I live here in Atlanta, Georgia, spring training is getting going down in Florida and out in Arizona, and players are arriving, and the ball's hitting the bat, and the the uh, warm afternoons are coming back, which means that baseball is in the air, which I just love. And with that being the case, we thought today would be a great time to sit down with a young man you may have watched play many times for the Atlanta Braves on television. He's the shortstop, born and raised in Marietta, Georgia, two-sport high school star, went on and played at Vanderbilt University where he became a household name. 2014, he led the Commodores to win the College World Series, where he was named the College World Series Most Outstanding Player. In 2015, he was the number one pick of the MLB draft to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Later that winter, he was traded back to Atlanta and became a member of the Braves and made his debut in August of 2016 and became Atlanta's starting shortstop. What you may not know about Dansby is how deep his roots run. I've had the privilege of knowing his family since Dansby was seven, and they are amazing people. And you'll hear in his interview today a lot of the influence his mom and dad have had in his life and also the influence that faith has had in his life. So today's going to be a fun one. I want you to pull up your chair, and I want you to listen in to my time with the Atlanta Braves starting shortstop, Dansby Swanson. Dansby, thanks so much for being willing to join me. It's an honor to have you on today, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited. This is uh, this is something I'll always look forward to. Well, you're awesome. I know you're living every little boy's dream. Is it what you thought it would be? I mean, every kid grows up wanting to do what you're doing. Is it what you thought it would be? Uh, I think the easiest answer is yes and no. Um, and I'll explain it just because um, the yes it is what I've always loved to do. Um, I've always loved to play. I've always loved to compete. I've always just loved the game of baseball itself, you know? Uh, and obviously, I mean, as you know, I've always loved winning. And so being able to kind of do that as my job is everything that I thought it would be. The no part is you don't really, it's probably just cause you don't understand when you're young, you know, just the stresses and, and the complications and all that that come with doing what you love, you know? And, and, you know, I'm, people say that I probably get a little bit more just from being from Atlanta. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, that's kind of the platform that God has given me to be able to reach, you know, the maximum amount of people that I can. So uh, it's easy to kind of turn those negatives into positives um, when you look at it that way. When, when somebody's thinking about what you do and you're playing professional baseball, what's something they probably don't understand that every professional athlete deals with? 
sort of across the board, football, basketball, what's something you deal with most people wouldn't understand? The travel. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people think, oh, well, I travel a lot for my job too, but at the end of the day, you're not um, asked to be physically ready every single day to perform at the highest level that you can after you get off a flight and you get to your hotel bed at five in the morning. You know, I mean, there's times where we play, you know, in New York, it's a seven o'clock game. Well, games last three hours at least, right? So let's just say a game gets done by 1030. Uh, the bus leaves the stadium at, you know, 1130 or midnight. You drive to the stadium and then, you know, you take the two and a half, three hour flight down to Miami. You land in Miami. Well, where we stay is 40 minutes off uh, away from the airport. So by the time you land at 3.30, um, you drive to the hotel, you get there at 4, 4.15, and then you go to bed. Well, guess what? You have a game that day. So, yep. you know, you sleep in, and then you end up playing that day. And I think that, the, that people just don't understand that when you do that consistently over and over and over again, the toll it takes on you physically, uh, but the game itself, how it takes on takes its toll mentally, you combine the two, and it, it is really tough um, to, you know, kind of stay even grounded and, uh, you know, kind of in the middle. What do you, what have you done? Have you found any things that have worked for you to help you with that process? Uh, honestly, I think being able to get sleep whenever you can is key. Um, you know, just physically, uh, I try and get naps while I'm at the stadium. And I know people be like, oh my gosh, what? It will, when you get there at two and the game's not till seven, you got um, some time to be able to kind of lay down and rest your eyes for a little bit, whether it's 20 minutes or, um, you know, 30 minutes, it doesn't matter. Just being able to get a little bit of sleep is obviously all that your body would really need just to gain some more energy. So that's helped me. Um, but mentally, I think the biggest thing that's helped me is is trying to stay engaged in a different way, um, trying to stay engaged, whether it's reading material, whether it's on the plane I'm reading or whether it's just in my room I'm reading. Um, and then also writing too, because, you know, I, I find a lot of power in getting your thoughts from your uh from your head onto a piece of paper, you know? Yep. Um, Is that almost a stress reliever to you in some ways? uh, Yeah. Um, It's because I'm smart. So I like to think when I think it kind of clouds my, it's just honestly like uh, blowing the leaves off your front porch, you know, like you kind of get them off and everything's clear and it looks better. Right. And the same way how kind of thoughts work, you know, if if they're just still cluttered in there, just builds and builds and builds. And at the end of the day, it'll make you, really upset or mad at yourself or the way something looks. Well, if you can c- consistently clear it out, then you're consistently uh, leaving space for things to get done. And that's kind of the analogy that I put with uh, being able to journal. Um, oh, that's kind of my way of doing it. Other people have different ways. I've gotten yeah. into meditating a little bit, uh, you know, and visualizing and all those kinds of things. And I think that sometimes, um, sorry, I'm going off on a little tangent here, but sometimes um, I know for me, the things that I struggle with uh, mentally, take um, its big toll on me, and uh, you know, just with the anxiety and um, you know the stressors and all the stuff that gets thrown your way, and you know, when it builds up, it really takes a huge toll on you. Um, it affects you physically, um, obviously mentally, and you know, it can even if you let it, you know, affect the people around you just by how you're treating them and everything. And so, I've learned to um, you know rely on meditation some, just to kind of uh, be aware of those thoughts and be able to kind of let them get out of my system and, and understand how to, you know, flip that switch of dealing with the negative things and how to kind of recognize them and move on past it to be able to get to the next you know destination. 
That's really good. You know, you look at it and, you know, what a lot of people may not know about you is you're a great basketball player in high school. And when you when you think about Dansby, the baseball player now, how does that time playing basketball back in high school? You're not playing professionally. You're not you didn't play collegiately back in high school. You're a really good athlete. How did doing that help you as a baseball player? Uh, I think a couple of different things physically. Uh, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Just you do different moves in basketball um, and you train yourself in a different way and you're, you, you know, gain better footwork, um, you know, and you and you gain the ability to move in different ways, like I said, like laterally or be more explosive. And um, you learn good reaction skills, obviously guarding and playing defense and all those kinds of things. But I think the biggest edge really was um, what it did for me almost away from the court uh, because I learned how to thrive in pressure situations. I learned, um, you know, being the only white kid on the basketball team, I learned how to deal with all the negative attention coming my way because I was the easiest one to pick on, right? You know, from the crowd. And um, you learn to compete in a different atmosphere. You learn to how to involve yourself with people that are different from you. Um, because at the end of the day, the backgrounds of kids that I was playing with weren't exactly how I grew up. And, isn't exactly what it's like in the baseball community. So I learned how to to deal with kids of different cultures, communities, um, and really kind of understand how to learn how to piece that together to achieve something greater than yourself. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I have gained from basketball is being around other types of people and how to get the most out of a team with different personalities. The reason I ask that is we live in a we live in a world that is, hey, if you're going to be a great baseball player don't play anything else but baseball. Don't man, you need to play it all year. You need to, you need to stay to the only way you're going to excel. Would you agree with that statement? Um, I understand why kids think that because nowadays the recruiting process is getting so outrageously early that a kid feels like he needs to specialize when he's 12, 13, 14, because if I don't go to this showcase event and do really well, you know, when I'm 14, then how am I going to get recruited? Well, when I, you know, I said when I was growing up, like I'm, you know, this old guy, but, um, you know, just, just a few years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. That's true. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't commit to the, um, end of my junior year, you know, going into my senior year. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things where I had the luxury of being able to enjoy playing both because at the end of the day, I love both. And honestly, if you were to break it, I'd probably love basketball more than I liked baseball. Um, just cause I felt more free. I felt more competitive. I just, there's something about it that enabled me to tap into different things um, that you don't necessarily get with the sport of baseball, just because they are such different sports. Um, but at the end of the day, I have found that kids that specialize early, they lose passion, they lose fire. Um, and at the end of the day, they're only training their body to do one thing. Whereas you learn to be a well-rounded athlete, you can compete in every type of atmosphere that there is. And that's kind of why I'm I'm so thankful that I stuck with it because at the end of the day, it made me such more of a well-rounded individual, both on and off, um, you know, the playing field. So you you come out of high school, you choose Vanderbilt, you, you make that choice, and we were at, together in an event with your dad here recently, and and it cost you something going to Vandy. wasn't a it wasn't a uh, a 100. Yeah, man, we got you signed up, free ride to go up there. It cost you something. Are you glad you went? Are you glad you made that step to go there? A thousand percent. I uh, I definitely took a leap of faith um, going there because 
when I was getting recruited, you know, baseball, how it works is not everyone gets a full ride. I mean, they give, right. I want to say what, 13 and a half or whatever. What's 11, 4, yeah. Um, for, you know, a team of 35 guys. Like, I mean, on average, you're getting 33% basically, um, which is honestly pretty ridiculous to think about. And so when you look at Vanderbilt and it being a $62,000 a year institute, it's one of those things like, well, how am I going to afford that being given a 30% scholarship? Well, some things that happened um, for my first year, I was going to be on financial aid and I was going to go to school on a certain percentage. Well, I wasn't aware that that number could change based on how my dad's business did because it's, you know, it's a needs-based grant. And so it was one of the things where my first year I was going to go on school's money and the next two or three years I was going to go on a baseball scholarship. Well, I didn't know that number would change. So when we found out that how much money I was going to be given from the school was going to be significantly less than we thought, it was one of those things where we did really have to consider if I needed to go there because I was going to end up owing close to $80,000 in my own student loans out of college. And, you know, I thought about it. My mom thought about it. Dad, we all prayed about it, you know, the whole thing. And came to the conclusion that I just felt so at home being there. I felt that that was where God was leading me to be. Um, I just remember on my visit and everything there, just there was nothing that could recreate that feeling of saying, like, literally, it's like God saying, hey, this is where you need to be, and I promise everything will be okay. And I was convinced that when I decided to go there that I would – be able to leave there and pay it all off with one check, basically. Wow. I, that's, that's what was said to me, you know, in my heart and in my head. And I worked to basically make that happen. That's incredible. If you had gone, and I know you were getting a lot of looks out of high school, even from scouts. If you had gone and signed right away and you had gone to the minor leagues straight out of high school, what would be different about Dansby today if that's the route you think you would have taken? Yeah, I'd probably be coaching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I say that, I mean, just because the amount that I grew up in physically and emotionally, mentally, spiritually, the whole thing from 18 to 21 can't be recreated anywhere else. I mean, the people I was around, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, your product, your environment, and going there solidified that because it showed me that when you are surrounded by like-minded individuals, uh, you know, destination of goals of where you want to get to, uh, people that are driven, when you surround yourself with people like that, that's not only how you become, but it helps you advance even further. You know, it puts you in a, I guess it is uncomfortable. It puts you in a situation where you got to compete with everything that you have and it allows for yourself to push past the limits that you place on yourself. Yeah, that's and really good. Going in the minor leagues, that's just not there. That camaraderie, that um, challenge is all put on yourself. And it's just, it's a huge load to carry when you're 18 years old. I don't care who you are. It's just a lot to handle. And some can handle it better than others. And I think that you know me well enough that I was a very mature 18-year-old. And for the fact that me looking back and saying I couldn't have handled it maturity-wise when I was that age, I think, you know, that says a lot. So, so I've had the blessing, Dansby, of really knowing your family. Gosh, since you and you and Casey were young, 
what did your parents do right? You were blessed and you, you alluded to it earlier about your family and consulting your mom and dad about college. What, at looking back now as a, as, as a man, a grown guy, and you're looking back at those things your parents did right. What are some of the things your parents did right? You say, man, I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for these things. It's funny that you actually bring that up because that's actually been a topic of conversation in my own head recently, just thinking about like, what did my parents do really well that I would want to instill, you know, in other people or in my own kids someday, you know, like that's um, something that's been on my mind. And I think the, the two things that stand out the most are one, they trusted who they raised me to be. Mm. And when I say that, they believed in what they were doing to me as a person and the values that they instilled. And they let me behave. Like they let me go do what I wanted to do. Mm. And that they trusted, they, it's not even necessarily, they, they trusted me because they trusted themselves on how they raised me. Yeah. And so when I would go do whatever, high school, college, still now, whenever, they let me just go do my thing. And if I misbehaved or if I made clearly the wrong decision, they let me know that that is something that is not accepted. You know, like that's not accessible in the family or um, that's just not how we behave or whatever it may be. That is how they raised me. Mm -hmm. And so, like like I said, they gave me the freedom to make choices. And so many times I feel like people just don't have the freedom to make choices. And when they finally do get the freedom to make choices, they make these drastic, crazy decisions because they've never had them before. Um, but they always did such a great job of giving me a choice. The second thing that they taught me is kind of a, a combination of a couple of things. They taught me hard work is not replaceable. You, you can't replace hard work, that uh, you work for what you want. If you want to A in a class, are you doing A effort? You know, are you putting an A effort to make it to where you want to get to? If you want to be this good of an athlete, are you putting in the necessary work to become that athlete? Um, and then they also just the kind of whole keep on keeping on concept to where things may not go your way um, and things may go your way, but at the end of the day, you still have to keep going forward. Um, I know we can't even talk about this at the event. You can't go forward if you keep looking left and right. Yeah. Um, because my, my story, you know, I was uh, undersized and kind of overlooked my whole life. Um, and then, and it kind of forced me at a young age to say, you know what, like this is, this is about, controlling what I can control me being who I am and striving to be the best version of myself every day and doing that. And then you look back in four years and you put in all the time and effort, um, in yourself, not in a selfish way, but you put the time and energy in yourself and it leads to things that I'm now reaping at 24 and the stuff that I'm going to do now, you know, I'll reap those benefits when I get to be 30. Um, and it just kind of piles on top of each other. You know, I think every stop along the way, Dansby, you've been seen as a leader. Is leadership something you think about? I mean, even as a as a 19-year-old shortstop at Vanderbilt or a 24-year-old guy on a bigger platform, is leadership something you're conscious of or do you think it's something that's been pretty natural for you? Uh, honestly, I maybe in these uh, both answers, but both because yeah. – I feel like I've always been a leader my whole life because um, I loved winning. And so I wanted to make sure that my teammates um, were as good as they can be so we could win. You know, I mean, that's just how I looked at it. Like I wanted to win. 
and I wanted to help people. And so the combination of the two is a little bit of leadership. Well, when I went to school, I started to understand what leadership looked like um, and kind of got to basically break it down and gain more knowledge about what it was. So that way I could even be a better leader. You know, I mean, there's so many times that we all have these leadership qualities, but we just don't refine them or we don't um, use them because you know, some people are born a leader, but at the end of the day, we all can be a leader because we all have the qualities instilled in us to lead. And just because you may not lead and be the CEO doesn't mean you're not a leader within your own community, within your own family. We're all given these certain traits that allow us to lead in our own unique ways. And I think that sometimes people look at like a leader, it's like this person is just pulling everyone with them. But how I've always learned is being a leader is actually the person that's in the back pushing everyone along. Mm. Um, it's not the it's not the dictator style where you're pulling everyone. Uh, it's the servant way of where you're doing it with everybody else, because that's what makes the most impact in their lives individually. Is there, is there anybody you've watched and said, man, this is a guy, a player or a person I'm wanting to emulate in leadership? Um, really Corbs, um, coach Corbin, the mm. head coach of Andy. Um, he kind of taught me what that looked like on a day-to-day basis and how, uh, it never wavers, you know, it, it never wavers uh, because as a leader, it's your job to be consistent every day, um, but it's also your job to be authentic every day. So yeah. there are days where we don't have our good days. Um, and it's not that you need to just make that known, but sometimes you just got to roll with what you got that day and you need to allow everyone else around you to pick you up a little bit. Um, but I'd say he is one of the most incredible, not only, men I've gotten to know, but, uh, you know, leader and someone that takes that role seriously and is willing to put everyone else in a position to succeed. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, that's what it appears to be from the outside. I remember I did a wedding in Nashville a number of years ago for a kid who caught it. Harrison kid named Jonathan Dullard that played up there. Oh, yeah. Andy. And I remember coach Corbin being at the wedding and I thought, and that struck me. I thought, and that says a lot on Saturday night, a guy that's not playing for you anymore. He didn't, you know, he didn't go on and have this massive major league career. I think he was in the minors for a little bit, but it told me a lot about coach Corbin that he would come to that wedding, that he would take time out of his schedule to come to a wedding of a player of his. That says a lot. That really, oh, really he, does. Yeah. He, uh, He's the best, and I think that's why you see all the people, um, all the athletes and stuff, uh, former Vandy guys are still playing. They go back up there. It's just because they want to be around that culture and environment. When, when the lights goes off and Danzy goes home at night, what's your off-field personality? We see the the fiery guy. gets He's into the game. He's fired up in the dugout. He is uh, He's always busting it down the line. But when those lights are out and Dansby gets in his truck or his car and he heads home at night, what's, what's off-field Dansby like? I'm a big goofball. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, um, you know, people think that uh, it's just crazy that we do normal, as we call them, normal people things. Like, I remember I was at the movies. Um, this was probably a couple months ago. We were going to the movies, and this kid's like, oh, my gosh, get- Nancy, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm watching a movie, like just like you are. Like, like it's the same. Like we're doing the same thing. We breathe the same air. We put our pants yep. on the same way. Like it just happens to be that you watch me on TV. But for me, uh, you know, when I go home, I really just like to enjoy being around good people. I enjoy my friends. Uh, obviously, I love being around my dog, my family. Uh, 
my girlfriend whenever she's in town. It's nice to just be able to relax and decompress, but also at the same time just laugh and just kind of enjoy life for what it has to offer. Um, and I think that that's something that, like who I am, like I just, I love to not goof off in an immature way. I just love to goof around, laugh, have fun, um, and not take anything too crazy seriously other than what I do. Right. It, when, when you, when you think about Dansby too, and you think about who you are, if a, if a kid comes to a Atlanta Braves game or when you were in Rome or wherever you've played along every level from Marietta all the way up, if a kid saw you play one time and they were wanting to figure out who you were, what do you want them to leave with? When, when they show up at that field and they see you perform, what do you want that kid to live, leave with? after watching you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, at the end of the day, me as a role model and how I would love for kids to be able to see me as someone that cares mm. about other people um, and someone that makes a difference because at the end of the day, the biggest thing about leaving your legacy, you know, people leave legacies because of how they impact everyone else around them. Um, and so that would be the thing that I'd want people to see when they watch me play and not, how fast I was or how good I was or how smart of a player I was or this or that or what I did at the plate that day, but about how I impacted the people around me. And um, I think that you see it a lot just with the interaction with teammates. Um, and I know I just kind of want to clarify this because, you know, some people may take that the wrong way with, you know, how it impacts people because there's times where you can't sign autographs for fans, you know, like that you're getting ready for a game uh, and it kind of looks like, you're giving them the cold shoulder or this and that, and it has nothing to do with that. Um, it's just one of those things where we're actually getting ready for our job, you know? So there's, there's things we need to do to make sure that we are locked in mentally to be able to perform um, to the standards that we uphold ourselves to. Um, but, you know, I, I know at times that people think that athletes can be um, a little jerkish because we won't sign autographs or take time out of our day. It's because there are other things that we have to do to get ready. Um, to play and it's uh it's not fun and easy to deal with at times because um you know you do want to make a difference for kids or whatever it may be but at the end of the day you know there is a standard that we have to uphold ourselves to as far as getting ourselves ready to play a game um but moving past that like i was saying just impacting impacting teammates um and people around you and basically making their life better because i was a part of it you know, you, you say that. I remember when I started doing the work with the Falcons back in 08, and one of the first things the chaplain told me, he said, Mike, don't, you know, don't bring your phone. Don't take pictures. He said, this is their job. So when you show up to do the chapel service, they're, they're coming to work. It's Saturday night. They're coming to work. And, man, that was a great way for me to think about it as an outsider, really, into that system of, man, these guys are showing up, they're getting their minds prepped and their bodies prepped for what's going to happen on Sunday afternoon. And I think everybody forgets that. Everybody gets caught up in the moment and forgets that it's a job and you are you are hired and let go for how you perform that job. And Correct. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal. And, and you talked about that, wanting to be that role model too. How much of that goes back to your faith? You know, I know faith, your faith's really, really important to you, Dansby. How much of that drive to be someone that kids look up to in that regard, how much of that comes from your faith, you think? Uh, I would say, honestly, pretty much all of it because, you know, my whole upbringing was I was raised in a faith background. Um, you know, I actually did a little 
talk at Chick-fil-A um, a couple weeks ago. And, and that was one of the big things I said, is, you know, talking about faith is action. Like that was the whole concept because at the end of the day, my faith is important to me, but how I look at faith is there has to be actions tied to it. You know, and we, we talk about be faithful, have faith. There's always a, you know, grammatically, there's always a verb attached to your faith. And so the only way to have faith and um, to live that out is through action. Uh, and so, you know, as a role model, uh, one of my biggest things is just loving other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, God and Jesus, they, they called us to, uh, to treat everyone with respect and to t- treat everyone with love. And so the other day being a role model, I would just love for people to realize that it's about the person to your left, the person to your right behind you, whoever it may be, that they are meant to be loved just like you are. And so if you can treat them with that same respect, um, regardless of who they are, skin color, beliefs, religion, any of that, that's what we're called to do. So as a role model, that's how I look at it. And it can, to me, they kind of go hand in hand because if I'm treating everyone that may, that way, it almost elevates you to the status of being a role model, you know? And so uh, I just try and uh, basically make that a part of my personality. So when I behave on a, you know, how I operate on a daily basis is in that way. And I don't have to do anything outside of my comfort zone or personality because that's just who I am. Did that faith begin to develop even more while you were in college? I think you mentioned even the event we were in when you were there at Cross Point up there in Nashville, that you really took some steps and some strides in your faith. What, what sort of drove that for you to go, man, I, I, I grew up in a great home. I had a great family, but I want this to be my faith and my relationship with Christ. When did all that begin to really transpire? Uh, somewhat meeting the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't to go against church or the establishment at all, but growing up in, you know, Marietta and going to Marietta First Baptist, that was all I knew. Right. And you go to Nashville and you go to a church that's more based around non-denominational and it's about coming together to worship, it gave me a different perspective on what it meant. And not that I was ever told like, you know, you don't believe in Jesus, like you're going to hell, like this and that, like the fiery, you know, like what you'd see on a movie. Like that was not my upbringing at all, but I started to gain a better understanding that it's about relationship more than it's about religion. And I started to understand in my personal life that my relationship with God is what mattered. And for me personally, how I developed that was through prayer. Like that was my way of doing it was through prayer. Um, you know, other people, it's, uh, diving in the Bible and getting a better understanding of, um, you know, Jesus, who he was, uh, and, you know, what God's capable of. For me, it was more about the prayer. And then you start to meet the people, meet right people. And then you have conversation about it and it just further enhances and develops what you believe, how you can, you know, transform yourself to be even better than what you were before. Um, you know, because, you know, at times when I was a kid, I take, I took everything so literal. So if I like messed up and thought that, um, you know, I'd done something wrong. Like I felt terrible about it instead of understanding the process, you know, of forgiveness and, and grace and what God's capable of. Uh, you know, I started to understand that through my relationship with him and not strictly looking at, you know, X, Y, Z out of, you know, reading the Bible or whatever it may be. I was able to just develop that relationship almost to kind of be like where I felt that I could converse with you know, God on a daily basis. 
So I know your your faith means a ton to you, your family means a ton to you, and your town means a lot to you. You know, you've started a, a great new deal. I want you to tell everybody about all things loyal. Tell everybody a little bit about where that passion to give back to your city, where does that come from, Dansby? Um, I feel like the city has given me so much. Um, you know, it kind of laid the foundation to become who I am now. You know, I spent uh, 18 years of my life here before I went to Nashville. And this, what, what the city embodies as far as the hospitality, the, the genuine, authentic love and care for your neighbor, um, but also the relentless pursuit to be something better. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times Atlanta can get forgotten with those kinds of traits that we do strive to be, you know, at the top of our game. And we do put in the work and we do put in the effort. We're just very humble about it and how the city worked and how this community worked was it pushed me to be the best that I can be. And so once I left here, I started to realize like how much I love this place. Like I love Nashville to death too. You know, I lived there during the off seasons and stuff, but I started to realize what this city gifted me with. And I started to realize like, well, you, you know, it's a really big deal that all these hip hop artists come out of Atlanta and, you know, all these different influential people come from the city of Atlanta and the amount of, you know, entertainment industries that are moving to Atlanta and all the different business opportunities are going to be in Atlanta. And then you start to look at one of the most influential people of all time, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is from here. And then you start to just like really understand like, wow, this place has so much to offer and it's so great. Like, why wouldn't I want to try and give back to this community that gave so much to me? That's so good, man. And you're, and you're making what I love about it, Dansby, you're making a mark and on the field with how you play off the field with how you live and how you give and how you serve, you are making a huge difference. When, when Dansby's playing careers over and you hang it up the cleats, when that time comes looking back, what do you want to, to be said about you, not just as a player, but as a person, if somebody were to pull a teammate aside and say, man, tell me about what Dansby was like, what would you want him to say? Uh, I mean, honestly, I, how I would want a, my teammates to view me as um, one of the best leaders they've been around, like someone that cared about other men, you know what I mean? Like someone that, that when I came into the room, everyone was brought together because of the energy and presence um, that I had while being there because I think that that's the culture that needs to be created to succeed uh, at the highest level possible. Uh, And kind of as a person, really the same thing, like my favorite thing to do is help people. Um, I have a genuine care for wanting people to reach their potential. I love being able to talk to kids and really truthfully and honestly open up to help them with their lives. Anything that I can do to give back and not even just writing a check, but to actually make a difference and understand that this kid got from A to B because of something that I said, that honestly, like, gives me goosebumps thinking about because that's what I want impact to be left on other people um, in hopes that they'll do the same to somebody else to make this world a better place. I hope you enjoyed that time with Dansby. You know, having known Dansby a little bit, known his family pretty well through the years, 
I knew a lot of that about Dansby. But one of the things that I think surprises a lot of people is just what an incredible young man that he is. Beginning his career, starting out, but man, he gets it. He gets the bigger perspective than I am just a baseball player. He knows that this playing baseball is for a season and a time in his life, but it won't be what he does forever. And he's putting those things in place that last. Congratulations, Dansby. When I tune in for the Braves this season, it makes me want to pull for you and them even more. Good, good stuff. Well, next episode, we get to sort of press pause, turn a whole nother direction, and sit down with another young person making a mark in this world. We're all familiar with the name Dave Ramsey. I don't know if anybody in the uh, marketplace today hasn't heard of Dave and his group and, and uh, man, their passion to help people get their finances in order. What you may not know about Dave is his daughter, Rachel Cruz. Rachel is making her mark on this generation in the area of finances and money and really becoming the spokesperson for so many that may not even know who Dave is, but they all know who Rachel is. And you are going to love our time with Rachel Cruz in our next episode. Well, if this adds value to you, man, if you would stop and pause, go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this podcast, leave a review. It sure helps it climb and and for other people to listen in, share it with good friends. And we are just honored that we get to be on this leadership journey with you. So once again, thank you. I hope you have a great day. And until next time, keep being the leader that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.